I'm glad you guys are here with us this morning. We're talking about a story that I, uh, I like a lot, a story that uh, I, I've known uh, since I was your age. Uh, growing up in church, this is a story we talk about a lot, a story about two builders um, and, uh, and the houses that they built and what happens to those houses when the storms come. Um, see, I usually like storms. Uh, I usually like them uh, until they interfere with my plans. I was thinking about this this morning. It's ironic, actually, that this is the sermon for today because tonight uh, at youth group, we had planned this all-out water balloon uh, war. And then I get up this morning and I check my weather app and lo and behold, we've got rain and storms and stuff all day long. And so I'm still kind of holding out hope that we'll find a window. Uh, But I went to our our ministry intern this morning and said, so uh, your job today is to come up with a backup plan uh, in case we can't do our water balloons tonight. Uh, So you guys can be praying for him as he comes up with something at the last minute. So um, I usually like storms until they interfere with my plans, uh, but most of the time I really like them. I like watching them uh, from, uh, from the safety of, of my living room. Um, I just got back from a, a vacation on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. I'd never been there before, but uh, it was actually a pretty cool experience. Uh, Forty of my extended family was all together under one roof of this massive uh, beach house that my aunt and uncle rented for us. There were uh, like 14 bedrooms and 17,000 bathrooms or something like that, I'm estimating. Um, it was just a really big place that I got lost in more than once, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit. And uh, the day we got out there, the day we drove out there to the house, there was a tropical storm coming in uh, off of the Atlantic, and, and there was a, this five-mile bridge that you had to drive across that was just five miles of a road that was just over the ocean uh, that connected the Outer Banks to, to the mainland. And the, the storm coming in meant that it was very windy. Uh, and driving across this road that was just two lanes of road and ocean everywhere was a little tense in the wind. Um, we got near the end of the bridge, and, uh, and I, I'm not sure if I need the suspension checked in my car, but my car's like bouncing wildly and like shaking back and forth. Like, this, is, uh, this is a little scary. And the storm, the storm turned north, which was awesome, but the wind and the waves that it still sent in uh, were pretty serious. And I actually really enjoyed, once we got there, sitting up in the, in the big living room, uh, looking out over the ocean, uh, incredible view, looking out over the ocean and watching this storm roll in, watching the waves crash and, uh, and the wind. Um, it, it was a really cool, a cool thing. But normally, uh, you know, l- lest you get the wrong idea, normally my summer vacations aren't to some crazy fancy beach house on the ocean. Normally, uh, our summer vacation is camping. I love camping. We usually go camping uh, just about every year because uh, camping is my idea of the perfect vacation. Um, I can have books, and I can have a hammock, and then I can be happy. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the deal, you know, and, 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 you know, if I can have a cup of coffee to go with it in the morning, uh, deal, that's awesome. And so uh, I, I'm just a happy guy when I'm camping, um, and I love it, I love camping a lot, but a campground, if you've ever been camping, a campground isn't a great place to be when a storm hits. Um, I've been in a couple of these experiences, storms that, that hit campgrounds, but the, maybe the worst one that I've ever been in happened just a couple years ago. We were camping on the west side uh, of Lake Michigan, um, right there on the lake, and as we were going to bed one night, a storm just kind of cropped up. Uh, we didn't have a ton of warning that it was coming. That sometimes happens with storms coming across the lake, uh, and it just kind of cropped up. And, uh, and so I, I, what you need to understand about my my trailer, I have a pop-up camper that's light enough for me to move without hitching it to a car. Like, I can move it around, I can position it, I love it, um, but in a storm, the real super lightweight pop-up camper isn't, like, the safest foundation 
to be in. And so I, when storms come up when we're camping, I watch the radar pretty closely. So I'm staying up. I didn't get much sleep. I'm watching the radar. And no joke, um, this storm got bad fast. Uh, the next morning, we found out that uh, a news station in town measured sustained winds at 90 miles an hour coming through this, coming through the campground. Um, and, and those winds lasted on that front edge of that storm. Those winds lasted for about 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and it was, it was scary. It, it, was, it was terrifying, actually. And, uh, and, and it, seemed, it sounded like a train was driving through the campground. It was so loud. Um, and the, our camper was like rocking back and forth. I'm like, I, man, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with this. I was just about to have my family make a break for the van and drive somewhere safe, like maybe just like to the bathroom house where it's like a little firmer uh, anchored into the ground. When, when it happened, a gust of wind came up under my awning and flipped the awning onto the top of my camper. Now, you're probably thinking that's not so bad. There's a lot of things, uh, a lot of worse things that could have come from that storm. And you're right. Um, it could have been way, way worse because um, the awning is anchored to the ground by three long aluminum poles with sharp stakes at the ends. And the moment the awning flipped up into the air, all three of those poles got launched into space. Just, whew. and I'm like, because I'm watching out the window. I saw this happen with my own eyes and they're gone. But I know enough about physics to know that they're not going to stay gone uh, unless, they got, unless they got launched so far that they, they got out of our gravity. And I'm like, oh, so what's about to happen isn't going to be the greatest thing. Um, and, and the first thing I thought, honestly, my first thought was, man, that awning's going to be really expensive to replace. Like, this is, because I'm a dad, you know, and that's, I think that. Um, but quickly, as I heard the poles start crashing down in the campsite next to ours, uh, I quickly had a different thought. I remembered that the family over there was camping in a tent not in a camper. A tent that wasn't gonna stand a chance against aluminum javelins with spikes on the end hurtling down from space. And I started to pray. I started to pray. My prayer quickly changed from, God, I hope this isn't too expensive to repair, to God, please don't let anyone be murdered by my awning tonight. And uh, the winds died down after like 15 or 20 minutes. I grabbed a flashlight and and ran out in the rain, and I was gathering my poles and apologizing to the neighbors in the tent. And uh, as far as I know, nobody got hurt. The next day, it was actually kind of a cool experience. The next morning, uh, walking around the campground, people helping each other out and helping each other get stuff set back up and everything um, ended up kind of being a cool thing. But... um, but storms, as cool as storms can be, they're also dangerous and, and unpredictable. And a lot of times they interfere with our plans. We, we, we've got these ideas of what we're going to do, and, and then a storm changes it. And, and during a storm, I feel a lot safer in a house than I do in a camper. I mean, I know that's not like earth-shattering to anyone, but I feel a lot safer in a house than I do in a camper because a house is anchored to something. A house is anchored to a foundation. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're wrapping up our, our Jesus Story series with a story uh, from Matthew 7, 27, uh, about two builders who built two houses and faced the same storm. One house stood, uh, but the other house collapsed. So we're going to look at this story together. We're going to start in, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. It says, therefore, okay, hang on. I didn't get very far, sorry. Therefore. One of the things I learned in Bible college, my very expensive uh, Christian education, was that when you see the word therefore, you ought to ask what it's there for. 
And so therefore is a connecting word. It's connecting to what came before this story. This story just isn't sitting in a vacuum. Uh, Jesus just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount. This is his conclusion, his wrap up to probably the greatest sermon ever preached. And therefore points back to all the things that he just finished saying. That we should be salt and light. That hidden sins like hate and lust are just as bad as public sins like murder and adultery. That we should turn the other cheek and love people who hate us. That we should give to the needy. That we should pray and we should fast without getting any credit for it. That we should set aside worrying and seek God's kingdom instead. That we should come to God with our problems and, and stop judging the people around us all the time. Jesus had all these revolutionary things to say in this sermon. And then he gets to this word. He says, therefore... Based on all the stuff I just said, keeping in mind everything you just heard from me, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with everything I just said? Therefore, you have this choice to make. You either do the things that Jesus is saying. You either say, yep, you're right. That's the truth. I'm going to live my life that way. Or you you decide to do them some other way. Therefore, brings you uh, to a decision point. Okay, let's keep going. That's one word. I spent too much time. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The, not Dwayne Johnson, actual rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." If you grew up in a church like I did, you might even know a song about this. You know, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man, but you, people that didn't grow up in the church are like, what is happening right now? And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. Motions, the rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. And the house on the sand went splat! And that was the favorite part, right? All the kids were like, yeah! And it's funny that we're celebrating that. You know, knowing, knowing what Jesus is getting at in this story, that we're teaching kids to be like, yeah! Fire that house down! Because Jesus is talking about your life. He's talking about building a life on a foundation. We're like, yeah, the life is falling apart. That's exciting. <laughs> the, song, the song, I think, does a good job teaching us the words Jesus used, teaching us the story. It doesn't do a great job teaching us how to build on a firm foundation, but that's okay, because uh, Jesus does a good job of that right here in this story, teaching us how. Both of these builders build, on, build a house. They both build on uh, a foundation, I guess, of sorts, and, and, and both of them hear Jesus. Both of them are listening. They were both there that day, if you want to look at it that way, listening to Jesus' sermon. They both hear him. But only one of them acts on what he hears. The story isn't complicated. The one who hears Jesus and lives out his words is as wise as someone who builds his house on rock. 
And the one who hears Jesus but decides to ignore his words is as foolish as someone who builds a house on sand. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. We're talking about practice. That's a dated Allen Iverson reference for y'all. Hearing Jesus, hearing isn't enough. Faith requires practice. So here's the thing. I've heard that vegetables are good for you. I've heard this told around. Um, I even believe it's true. I've kind of seen the effects of, of vegetables being healthy. I desire to eat more vegetables so that I can be healthier and skinnier. Um, but when I have the choice, I choose meat over vegetables 100% of the time. 100%. I'm, I have a perfect record of choosing meat over vegetables. You guys floss every day? How about this? You guys floss? I don't. Why not? If you guys who are like me, you guys who don't floss every day, how come, right? You know how to floss. It's not like super difficult. It's, it's not that hard to learn. Your dentist told you it was important. You probably should do it. Um, you probably own some floss somewhere, right? In a bathroom somewhere in your house. You probably have some. Um, you maybe even use it. If you're like me, you maybe do even use it right after you go to the dentist for like a week, if you're lucky. And then you stop. Why? Why do you stop flossing? You don't floss because you don't actually believe that your teeth will rot and fall out of your face if you don't floss. Like, it's not that important. Come on, right? If you believed it, if you believed that by not flossing for the next few months, my teeth would just fall out, you would probably floss. I probably would too. If, if I had the impending doom of losing all my teeth and flossing would prevent it, I think I probably would do it. But I don't believe it. I don't believe that that's what's going to happen. I think my dentist is selling me a, a, a lie <laughs> that flossing is as important as he says that it is. Um, and I think we do the same thing with, with God's word. We, we do the same thing with Jesus's words. We, we hear, we hear the, the words, we hear the Bible, we hear it preached, we even study it uh, and, and we memorize it. But if we don't actually act on what we read in the Bible, if we don't take the words on the page and make them the way that we live our life, then the Bible ends up not doing us very much good. See, studying vegetables doesn't make me healthier. I can know so much about vegetables, but if, until I eat them, I'm not going to live a healthier lifestyle. Knowing about vegetables isn't gonna, isn't gonna help me. It's not everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them onto Pinterest It's not everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them in a notebook or in a really creative meme on, on Facebook. People still use that? Facebook. Or stencils them on a wall. Everyone who hears these words of mine and stencils them on a wall or paints them on a canvas. Listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Those things are all fine, but they won't work as a foundation to build your life on. It's just not enough. That takes practice. Hearing Jesus and doing what he says is like building a home with a solid foundation that can stand up to the storms of life. But hearing Jesus and choosing not to live by his words is like building a house without a foundation. When the problems of life rise up and stress floods in, the house falls apart. It's foolish not to take Jesus seriously enough to actually do what he says. When Jesus tells us to love in ways that are difficult, 
when he commands us to be merciful and show grace to others, when he insists that we focus on our own faults instead of the faults that we see in other people all the time, he actually means it. Like when Jesus gives us words, he doesn't just talk to hear himself talk. If you've been a student in my youth ministry, you know that I really love microphones, and a lot of times I talk because I like hearing myself talk. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus gives words, and they all matter. They all mean something, and he intends for us to put them into practice, not just hear them and be like, oh, those are, those are nice, fancy words, right? James puts it like this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. When you hear God's word and don't act on it, you are intentionally lying to yourself, which I do all the time when I look in a mirror. I intentionally lie to myself because the truth hurts, right? I look in a mirror and I think, whoa, that's what I look like now? When was the last time I saw myself in this mirror? I'm going to have to shed some pounds. I got to drop some weight. But like five minutes after I walk away from the mirror, I'm already justifying the donut that I know I'm going to eat on my way to work. Like I already am like, that ah, wasn't so bad. You know, I, I've, the mirror adds like 20 pounds, I'm sure, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> we do the same thing with God's word. See, we hear Jesus tell us to love our enemies, for example. We hear that. And we think, you know what? I should work on that. Jesus said it. It's important. I should work on it. And then we go to lunch, and we forget all about it. James tells us to spend more time. Spend more time looking in the mirror of God's word than spend more time looking in that mirror than we do going out into the world and offering our opinions in Jesus' name. Spend more time evaluating yourself in light of God's word than you do out on the street with your megaphone telling other people how wrong they are. Spend more time looking in the mirror of God's word. Don't merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Matthew isn't the only place where we find this story from Jesus. Uh, Luke wrote it down too, uh, but Luke words it a little bit differently. Um, it's in Luke chapter 6. It'll be up on the screen. It starts in verse 46 where Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus is a little more blunt here in Luke's version. Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Jesus preached this sermon near the Sea of Galilee. And, and around the Sea of Galilee, the sand on the shore would get hard packed during the summer months, um, almost as hard as concrete. I mean, if you didn't know any better, some places around the Sea of Galilee, you would think that you were walking on a paved road, the sand was packed down so hard. But 
A wise builder who understood the area wouldn't be fooled by that, wouldn't be fooled by the the conditions on the surface. Uh, He would dig down deep, sometimes 10 feet deep or even more below the surface of the sand in order to find the bedrock so that he could pour the footings of his house in the rock down below the sand. And when the winter rains would come, the Jordan River would, would flood the Jordan River would, would, would swell and flood into the Sea of Galilee, it emptied into the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee would start to flood its banks. And if you had built a house on that hard-packed sand where in the summer everything seemed just fine, in the winter when the Sea of Galilee was flooding its banks, it wouldn't be so fine. That, that foundation of the house that you just built would become unstable very quickly as the floods would come. But houses built on the bedrock below a house that could be right next door, but that, that, that the builder took the time to dig down deep, that house could stand. The first time I got to go to Mexico on a mission trip, I had this idea that we would build a bunch of houses or maybe like a whole church. Like we're going to go down to Mexico and we're going to like, I was like, 23, I never built a house before. I'm like, yeah, but in Mexico, I'll know what I'm doing. So we're going to build all these houses, and we're going to build, you know, we're going to do all this uh, amazing work. And instead, it took 26 people 10 days to clear a spot on the ground and dig trenches and footings in the corners to cut and bend rebar. No thank you. I don't want to do that ever again. And to hand-mix concrete to pour a foundation for one small house. We, we, now listen, we didn't build one small house. We, we poured a foundation for one small house. 26 people, 10 days, working nine hours a day, and that's all we were able to accomplish. We mixed batches of concrete, 500 pounds at a time, only to see it disappear into the footing holes. We would be so proud of ourselves that all this concrete we just mixed, and we, we loaded it into buckets, and we carried it over the foundation. Like, where'd it go? <laughs> it's down there somewhere, I guess. And so we go back and start over again, another batch of 500 pounds of concrete, and there's no end in sight, and there were no shortcuts. We mixed concrete for nine hours a day for a week before we finally had enough concrete for the footings of a foundation. Because digging down deep takes work. But listen, I've been back to Mexico twice since then. The first time we went back, half of our group stayed in that house. We never finished the house. We laid the foundation. By the time I went back, the house was done. Half of our group stayed in the house that first time that we went back. The second time we went back, uh, we ran a VBS at the church that was next door to that house, and we used that house as overflow, and we had VBS going on throughout this house. On the foundation that we laid, on the foundation that we took so much time and so much care to get right, based on what, I didn't know what I was doing, based on what we were told, we need this much, you need to pour it there, do this and do that. And listen, that was 14 years ago that we finished pouring that foundation. And through all these years, that house has held up to countless storms, even three hurricanes in the last 14 years. And it is still standing, strong as it ever was, because we took the time to dig down deep. And so this begs a question for me anyway, as I think through this story, why would anyone intentionally build a house on sand? 
Anyone that knows what they're doing, anyone who's ever built anything before, understands foundations, understands building on sand is a foolish idea. Why would they do it? Why would anyone do it? The only, the only reason I could come up with as I thought through this week is that the builder underestimated the weather. The only reason that you take that shortcut and don't dig down deep and build on the sand is if you don't think that the storms are coming. I mean, maybe the builder thought that, that every day would be sunshine and smooth sailing, so a sand dune would be just fine for a foundation. Um, building on sand uh, normally offers a pretty solid view. You know, where there's sand, there's usually a view. Uh, and so maybe the shortcut, maybe you rationalize the shortcut's worth it. I like the view. I want my house to be right here in the sand. And honestly, who wants to dig? I mean, who wants to dig down deep if you don't have to? Are the storms, I mean, really? Are the storms really coming? I mean, really? Will my teeth really fall out if I don't use dental floss? Takes way. <laughs> it takes way more work to build on rock and floss. <laughs> it, takes, it takes way more time and way more energy. It takes way more money, maybe not so much for the floss, but to build on rock takes way more money. It's easier, it's faster to build on sand. It's cheaper to build on sand. And for a while, it might be great. For a while, it might be just the, the coolest thing. You look out your window, you've got the view, you can see the ocean. This is amazing, this cottage that I've got here on the sand. But eventually, eventually you pay for your shortcuts because storms come. I found this, I want you to check this out. I've got this news story, a clip from a news story. Uh, happened last summer uh, in Michigan. It was right near the place where we went camping. I wanna share this with you uh, on the screen here. Check this out. The same Chicago family who just lost their cottage to a massive sand dune at Silver Lake a few months ago is now on the verge of losing a second property as the dune inches closer. 24 Albany News 8, Sarah Hurwitz spoke with the owner and the DNR, and she has this story from Silver Lake, all new at six. Well, right about here is where that first cottage stood. The Dresslers lost it last spring to this 80-foot dune right here, which is getting scarily close to their second cottage. But the family's not giving up their fight to push back the sand. The dune is beautiful, but when I'm standing on this side of the house, <laughs> looking that way, um, I don't know, a little bit of a heartache. Sue Dressler's been through this before. Well, the sand's pretty much always been an issue. This is the cottage that the Dresslers lost a few months ago. And now she and her family are making every effort to not only save their second cottage filled with family memories, but these homes in the path of the monstrous dune. You live through this thinking it'll never happen to me. It won't, we'll, we'll, you know, we keep, we'll just keep digging ourselves out. Her father-in-law purchased both properties more than 25 years ago. And in 2005, Sue and her husband took over managing the property. It wasn't cheap. She says it cost roughly 10 grand a year to have a company come in and push back the sand. But the wind and mild winters have made that task exceedingly more difficult. Even if you get moisture in the sand in the winter months, it could be below 32 degrees, but if there's no moisture in the sand, it's still not going to freeze solid. It still will blow and move it. 10 degrees below zero. If it's dry, it's going to blow. Jody Johnston with the DNR says every year moving sand becomes more of an issue, traveling anywhere from two to six feet. The DNR and the DEQ are working with the Dressler family to find a solution. And this year, a neighbor who owns a construction company is letting the Dresslers use a front loader, free of charge, to haul off the sand to a golf course who is letting them dump as much sand as they want. And they do have a community GoFundMe page that has been set up. If you'd like to donate and 
help with their efforts. We will have a link to that on our website, woodtv.com. Reporting from Silver Lake, Sarah Hurwitz, 24-Hour News 8. The same Chicago family who just lost their cottage. Oh, it's on a loop. The, uh, a GoFundMe page. That's, that's the solution, I think, uh, in, in this day and age. Just go ahead and build your house on sand, and then when the things get bad, we'll, we'll do a community GoFundMe page. <laughs> How many people say the same thing as the woman who owns the cottage? It'll never happen to me. We'll just keep digging ourselves out. We'll make this work. That stuff happens to other people. I'll be fine. Some of the prettiest places to build your house are the worst places to be when a storm hits. You ever notice that? It's easier to go along with what's popular in our culture than it is to live out the words of Jesus. It takes less time. It takes less effort to maintain a, a surface-level faith. And most of the time, honestly, no one can really tell the difference. I mean, looks like a Christian, talks like a Christian, probably a Christian. Most of the time, no one can tell the difference between a surface level faith. It's just easier. It's just easier to show up to church a couple of times a month than it is to dig down deep. It's easier to, to, to just go through the motions than it is to lay down spiritual roots. But the problem is that storms are coming. That's the, the reality of this story. Both houses, regardless of foundation, face the storm. Storms are coming. The rain came down, the, storm, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against both houses. The story uses the exact same language. What started as easier and cheaper isn't easy and cheap for long. Do you hear that? They're paying $10,000 a year to have someone push back the sand dune. It's not easy and cheap anymore. It's becoming expensive. Because storms are coming. Storms are coming. The question isn't, can I avoid them? Can I? The question is, are you ready? Are you ready when the storms show up? The difference between a life that stands through the storms and a life that falls apart is very simple. It's just what you do with the words of Jesus. What you do with what you've heard Jesus say is the difference between a foundation on rock and a foundation on sand. And I'm telling you, a lot of people wait until the storms come to address their foundation issues. And they wait until the middle of a crisis. In the middle of a crisis, they get on the phone and they call the most spiritual people that they know to help them get out of the mess that they're in. And don't, listen, don't hear me say that if you're in the middle of a crisis or the storm is coming, you shouldn't ask for help. You totally should. You should ask for help. You should pray. You should ask for people to pray with you and pray for you. But listen, fixing your foundation in the middle of a crisis, it's super hard. It's super hard. Anybody ever try to do foundation work on their house in the middle of a big storm when it's raining? It's super hard. Maybe impossible. It's incredibly difficult to do foundation work in the middle of a storm. It's really hard to lay a foundation when it's raining. You've got to lay a foundation before the storm comes in. Storms are coming. Storms come whether you obey Jesus or not. I don't know if, I hope, hopefully no one's lied to you. I, <laughs> Big pet peeve of, of mine is churches that lie and make it sound so easy. 
You ever hear this about how it's so easy, it's so simple, all you got to do is, is, you know, this, this one thing and then you're all set and everything. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of truth to that and that Jesus doesn't make it complicated for us to come to him, but that doesn't mean that living a life for Jesus is easy. It's far from it. It's hard. It's hard work. And storms are coming whether you're obeying Jesus or not. Obeying Jesus doesn't mean that, that he puts some bubble around you and you don't ever have to go through anything hard. You don't have to go through any kinds of storms. Storms hit the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. The storms come. Living out Jesus' words doesn't save you from the storms. Obeying Jesus doesn't protect you from the troubles that come to everybody in this world. But obeying Jesus does protect you in the troubles. Because Jesus has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I will walk with you, even in the worst of storms. He's promised that he'll be there with you. And at the end of this story, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, the crowds react. you got to love the crowds. In verse 28, they react. It says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. The people noticed They heard Jesus and they noticed right away, whoa, there's something different. Something different about this dude. Something different about the way he teaches. He teaches with with authority. And they were amazed. Which wasn't exactly the reaction Jesus was going for. He didn't say everyone who hears these words of mine and is amazed is like a wise builder. We need to be more than amazed at Jesus. That's not enough. Being amazed isn't enough. You hear Jesus, you're like, man, that's incredible, and then you walk away. That's not enough. It's not enough to be impressed with Jesus. It's not enough to be emotionally moved by a spiritual experience. It's not enough. Jesus doesn't want people to listen and go away amazed. He wants them to listen and follow him and be changed. Notice I didn't say change. Be changed. I'm using it passively on purpose. Jesus doesn't say change. Follow me and change. Fix your life. What's wrong with you? Jesus doesn't say any of those things. He says, follow me. Do these words, these teachings that I've given you. Do them, live them, breathe them, and you will be changed. There's a difference. See, one is work. One is, one is me working as hard as I possibly can to make Jesus happy with me. The other one is just me trusting that what Jesus says is worth doing in my life and trusting that he'll bring the change, that he'll be the one that changes me because I don't even know what he wants me to look like in the long run. I, I need him to change me. If I try to do the change, it's going to come out wrong. I'm going to be all lopsided and, and collapsing in the middle of a sand dune. I need him to bring the change. Jesus wants me to to listen and obey so that I can be changed. If you decide not to build a life on doing what Jesus says, and you can make that decision. You know, Jesus doesn't say, you know, the one guy built his house on the rock and the other guy, well, let's not talk about him. You know, the, the other guy made his choice too, right? You can build on any foundation. If you decide not to build on on the foundation of of living out the words of Jesus, you can pick another foundation. What's it going to be? You're going to build on your work? Maybe on your family? You're going to build on family? Maybe you build on your friends or or on your church? Uh, Maybe you build your foundation on, on your money? 
or on uh, entertainment and, and happiness, chasing happiness. But I got a question. Will that foundation hold up when the storms of life start raging around you? When the stress of the day-to-day comes flooding in, is that foundation going to be enough? I can't answer that question for you, but I'll ask it. Is that foundation going to be good enough? Jesus says it won't. Jesus says it won't be. Jesus says heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus says there's one foundation that's rock. There's one foundation that's secure. There's one guaranteed place that you can build your house, where you can drop those footings, where you're going to be secure in the midst of storms. Just one. Sorry, culture. Just one. One foundation that is secure in the storms. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. What would it look like? What would it look like if we all decided that we're in? If we all decided, yeah, we're going to build our lives on that foundation. We're going to build our lives on the words of Jesus. We're going to actually live out what he says. We're going we're to be like, Jesus, man, that sounds super hard, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to, instead of like, ah, no, I'm not doing that. I'll do this, but not this. And I'll do this, but not this. That's what I think we usually do. I think we're all a little guilty of that. I, want, I like this piece. I really like this. I'll do this. Uh, I don't like this piece at all. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, what if we just took them all? What if we took all of Jesus' words and said, if this is good enough, then this is good enough. I'm going to live them all. What if we lived out all of Jesus' words, what it looked like. Imagine it. Imagine a place, a place where people refuse to abuse one another in anger. Imagine it. Imagine a place where people refuse to, ab- to be abusive to one another physically or verbally because they're mad. Imagine if, if, we actually, if we actually used our anger in the way that it was intended. Steve, we had a series coming up uh, in a while, later in the, in the fall, about emotions, about the way that God created emotions and the way they're intended to be used. Anger's not sinful, but we use it in sinful ways all the time. What if we didn't? What, what if we trusted Jesus, took him at his word, and what if we didn't abuse other people around us in our anger? Imagine it. Imagine a place where people didn't uh, violate their marriage vows. A, a place where, where people didn't see one another as objects of lust, but instead saw one another as, as precious sons and daughters of a king. Imagine what a place like that would look like. Imagine, imagine a place where people always told the truth. You, ever, you guys hate it as much as I do when people lie to you. Imagine when, when people always told the truth. Imagine a place where people don't retaliate with violence. Imagine a place where people love their enemies. Social media is not that place. (laughs) Imagine a place where people love their enemies. Imagine a place where we're living out the words of Jesus as if we actually trusted them, as if we actually thought, yeah, they'll work, I'll give it a try. Imagine what it would look like. Who wouldn't want to live in a place like that? Everybody would want to live in a place like that. That's Jesus' point. That's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a place where everybody's like, whoa, what's going on there? That's way different than what I see all around me. They don't hate each other. They They don't take shots at each other. They love each other. They support each other. They show grace to each other. They they help one another. Like, what's going on there? I need to get a piece of that. Imagine it. Imagine a place where we took Jesus' words and lived as if we actually believed them. Lived as if we actually thought they work. This will work. 
Not because I can see the practical outplaying of it, because a lot of times I can't. I'm like, yeah, Jesus, that's never going to work. But because I trust Jesus. This will work because Jesus says it'll work. I don't think it's going to work. I don't see it. But who am I? Jesus says it'll work. I'll give it a shot. Imagine if that was the commitment we made. I don't know, Jesus. I don't know if that's going to work, but I trust you. I'll give it a shot. So will you trust him? Will you dig your foundation deep? Will you do the work trusting that it's worth it? Let's pray. God, it's hard. This foundation stuff is hard. Digging down deep is hard. And that's why we talk about it a lot. That's why, that's why we, we, we constantly, constantly go back to your words, your words, your words. Because your words give life. Your words are worth it. Your words are the only words that last through everything, through all of the storms, through as heaven and earth pass away. Your words stand secure. So Jesus, help us trust in your words. Amen. We take communion every week. And we do this together. And we do it because we take Jesus seriously. We take Jesus seriously when he says in the Bible, do this in remembrance of me. We we remember his body on the cross. We remember his blood spilled out to forgive our sins. We remember his prayer in the garden uh, beforehand, his prayer when he committed that he would move forward by doing things God's way instead of his own way. He says, your will, not mine. We remember that as we take communion. I mentioned I was on vacation uh, out at the ocean. When When I was there on the beach, we, uh, we had a day where we went swimming. I went swimming in the ocean with my kids, and uh, we walked out quite a ways during low tide um, and uh, played in the waves and uh, had, a good, had a good time, and then we came back and laid on the beach for a while, um, and uh, we decided a little bit later to go back in the water, and when we went back in the water, the tide was coming in, and we're not like ocean veterans. We don't know a ton about this. Um, it took only five steps this time for the water to get chest deep, like no joke, like my cousin, came, my cousin came running in from the beach like he was going to run out into the ocean, and he took three steps and then had that like, like step off a cliff and just like smack down into the water because the sands had shifted in such a short amount of time, like an hour. The sands underneath the shore of the ocean had shifted so much that they changed the entire shoreline. They changed what used to be a, a walk that we could go way, way out. Now we could take like five steps before it was almost over Ethan's head, almost over the head of my youngest son. And, and that's what happens when we build our lives on something other than Jesus. The foundation tends to shift on us. When we're not even really paying attention, the foundation tends to move. And all of a sudden, it's not as supportive as it once was. All of a sudden, it doesn't feel as safe. In the garden, Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And as you take communion this morning, you're saying the same thing. You're committing to live your life God's way instead of your way. So as the trays are passed, you can take a set of cups uh, and hold on to those cups until we can all take communion together.